Welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. I'm your host, Fabio Molle, and every week I bring you insights and lessons from players, coaches, parents, and experts who are ingrained in the world of high-level tennis. For our first episode in 2024, I welcome Brandon Holt. Brandon was a blue-chip college recruit. He had a great career at USC and had some great wins on the Pro Tour. He's 25, and last year he had a career-high 180 ATP. We chat about his decision to play college tennis, his breakthrough at the 2022 US Open beating Taylor Fritz, having an influential tennis parent, the great Tracy Austin, and we kick things off with him telling us about his experience using the Sabre recently. Now, this was recorded just before the new year. Bear that into account. Before we kick things off, a shout out to our podcast partners, Asics, who, as you know, if you're a regular listener to my favorite tennis shoes, my personal favorites are the Solution Speeds FF2, which have now been replaced by the FF3s, which I'm eagerly awaiting to test. There's also the Resolution 9s, which are a great all-court shoe. And if you cover the court like Novak, check out the court FF3. Head over to Asics.com to get all the info or you can message me directly. Okay, here's Brandon. Brandon, welcome to the Functional Tennis Podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. At 6.30 a.m., it's California time. It's always the hardest to do episodes with people on the West Coast. So thank you very much for getting up. Are you an early riser or did I get you out of bed early this morning? No, I'm always an early riser. Practice early. It's actually raining in LA. So I live in LA right now. Um, so I got the gym and then probably no tennis today, but I'm up early in the morning. I go to bed super early. I'm kind of boring at night. So 9, 9 p.m., 9.30 p.m., I'm in bed crashing out. Well, you need your energy for the day. You know, you're, you're, how's, how's preseason go and how's much time you spend on court and off court? Preseason has been great. I do it at the USTA center in Carson, which is about 30 minutes from my house. Um, and there's like Taylor Fritz, Marcos Garon, Zach Vida, uh, a lot of great players are, are training out of there. Um, and it's been, it's been awesome. It's uh fitness in the morning and then we go straight into tennis and then we'll eat lunch and we'll do fitness again or tennis again. Um, and then I do some extracurricular hot yoga on occasion and some, uh, some little extra things. So, so it's been great. Off season's amazing here. The hot yoga for you is probably outdoors, is it? No, (laughs) no, the hot, the the hot yoga is indoors. It's actually in LA. It stays pretty, the temperature is mild the whole, the whole year round. So it never gets super hot and never gets super cold. It's kind of a no jacket weather all the time, but it's never crazy warm so it's just perfect so pretty much i mean the weather's yeah. the weather's pretty pretty good here nice okay before we're going to talk a bit about your early days playing tennis before we do that a few weeks ago you posted a video and you sent me videos also of you striking with the saber and i got so many messages people were saying how the hell can you do that with a saber you were going full on with it it was amazing uh tell me how did it feel and why did you use the saber Oh, it was, it was a ton of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, the head size is small, so I thought that it'd be a great uh, practice tool. I think one of the most important things in tennis is just getting the ball in the right sweet spot every single time. Um, it's almost like if you can position your feet to be able to strike the ball right in that spot, um, then everything else is easy, you know, whether it's on the rise or or you're, you know, doing anything with it. If you can still take a full swing and it's right in that, in that zone, then you can swing for it. And so I found... I didn't. I didn't hit with it for too terribly long, but I loved it and I had so much fun. I plan on using it uh, as a warm up device or um, 
or just a training tool because you have to use your footwork so much. I was playing baseline points with it with my friend Logan Smith, who I played at USC with, and I was 10 times more tired playing with a saber because <laughs> you just have to be in an absolutely perfect position where you sometimes would be a little bit lackadaisical or lazy on you know a running ball. You got to hit it right in the slot. And so I was sweating, I was tired, and, and it was a ton of fun. But yeah, I was taking full rips at it, and um, and it was going well, so it was awesome. Yeah, it's pretty videos. If you haven't seen the video, it's pretty impressive because you're absolutely ripping the ball. And uh, who was it? I think JJ Wolf commented said something like, "You've never mistimed a ball in your life." So obviously, your timing's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I think he was talking about because on one of them, Logan, my, the guy I was hitting with, hit one deep, and so I was off the back foot and I shanked one because he missed it long. And uh, he's like, "I've never seen him shank a ball, but." I shank them plenty of times. <laughs> uh, nice. I know, I know. Some are, you're more gifted than most people. But uh, I think Marcus Giron has one in his bag as well. I haven't seen any videos of it, but uh, I did hear a rumor there's one hiding out there somewhere. So uh, maybe you'll have to take him on one-on-one. Oh, I did. I hit, I hit with Marcos two days ago at the USCA Center in Carson, and I brought the saber, and he was hitting with it at the end of practice after we had already played. And he was having fun. He was hitting it clean as well, so... No, who won? Did you play points? We didn't play points. At the end of practice, we just hit up the middle with it. So I had a regular racket. He had the saber. We just switched off. <laughs> That's great to hear. Thank you very much. So Brandon, you were you were number one pick for college tennis as a as a senior. Is that what you'd say in the states? Yeah, that's how it works. So senior in high school. Um, I mean, there's so many ranking systems nowadays. So. Who knows? There's like UTR and a million things, but there was, it's called tennis recruiting. And that was what they kind of based it off of back when I was going to school. And so there's a blue chip recruit, which is what I was. And, um, I was number one on, on that list. So I chose to go to USC. I, I narrowed it down to a few different schools. I, I ended up wanting to stay in California. So it was between Stanford, UCLA and USC. Um, and I loved every second at, at USC. I, I miss it. I miss it a lot. And wait, did you, obviously, they all wanted you there, did they? As in USC, uh, UCLA, and Stanford. Like, you basically had, you could have went wherever you wanted. Yeah, I feel like I kind of had a pick of a litter for a lot, basically all the schools in the country. Um, I had pretty good grades in school, so um, it was really just a choice of, of, of where I wanted to go. And my older brother was at USC, my younger brother ended up going to USC as well. So I've got two brothers, an older and a younger, and all of us went to USC. So we're a USC family now, but my mom's brothers and sister, they went to UCLA. So oh. we're a house divided. Yeah, I, I can imagine the fights over the football games. <laughs> and so you probably had a big decision to make, or maybe it was an easy decision, but it was a big decision as a, as a senior. Go pro or play college tennis. Why ultimately did you play college tennis well it didn't really feel like i was quite ready to play professional tennis um i mean i could have gone and played futures and, and done that whole thing but i think that there's there's a lot to learn still um built both as a person and and as a tennis player and my parents really harped on us getting a good education and learning and having not put all of our eggs in one basket. My mom would always say, don't put all your eggs in one basket, meaning it's always good to have a backup plan because, you know, being top at a, at any sport or at anything in life is very difficult. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, struggles and it's, and it's never a sure thing. So 
Uh, they wanted me to get an education. I got a degree in real estate development. And so I have that under my belt. I went for four years and I have that degree. So I can always do that. And I, I actually really want to do that real estate development when I'm done with tennis, uh, no matter how well I do in tennis. So so it's good. I, I loved I loved being at USC. I loved learning. I still love learning. I still like to to learn about a lot of different stuff. And um, And yeah, I think that you also get friends for your entire life at, at USC or at any, at any college, you go there and you become instantly, you're basically forced into relationships with another 10 guys that, that have to be basically your family for the next four years and the next, and the next 50 years after that. So you know, I just got dinner a few days ago with all of my friends that were at USC with me and we're having just as much fun as ever. And, um, so there's really just a ton of, a ton of pluses to going to, to college. And I think that the only negative is some kids kind of lose track because college is a lot of fun. So some yeah. kids, if they don't have that real, that real passion, then they can kind of get lost in the weeds, but that's on you. I never had that worry. I was always focused in, in high school, focused in college. I mean, I had, I had fun, but I always had tennis as the most important thing. Um, and so, yeah, it really worked out great. You know, you can go, there's so many resources all at your fingertips when you're in college and they treat you so well. So I think it was a great decision for me. I can see the advantage of doing like four years at a university like that, where, you, as you said, they have all the resources, great trainers, great gym, the weather's good, new balls all the time, I'm sure, uh, rather <laughs> exactly. than grinding on the futures for four years. You know, you, you don't come out of an education, uh, you know, you're str struggling to find training partners, uh, you're probably somewhere cold. So I, there's, there's a lot of pluses. And did, did you think at any time during the four years, I'm going to go pro now? You know, was there ever that thought or were you like, no, just see this out? Um, I mean, I won a few futures while I was in school. I was doing, I was doing all right. I, it depends on what counts as, I mean, if, of course that's being a professional tennis player, but are you really, um, you know, you're not, you're not making any, any money and you're not doing that well in terms of, oh, wow, I'm, you know, lighting the world on fire right now by winning a, a 25K. Yeah. So, um, I think that it was an easy decision to stay just because I was learning a lot. The coaches were amazing. Chris Quinta, uh, Peter Smith, and uh, Chris Quinta is the head coach at, at the University of Berkeley now. And then Peter Smith was like one of the best college coaches of all time. He won, you know, multiple national championships. So uh, under their advisement, I think I was learning a lot. And, you know, I had some amazing friends and it was kind of weird. It was like your house and then the gym and the tennis courts are a triangle and you just are on your bike, just going in a circle every day, but having so much fun doing it. And that's the recipe for getting so much better and having a ton of fun while you're at it. So it was like, it was like heaven, heaven for me. Nice. Uh, yeah. Peter Smith, he maybe, he, maybe we had him on actually probably while he was working with you there. Uh, about, oh, really? About, I'd say three years ago, I think we had Peter on. So, oh, awesome. so you were you were probably yeah. mentioned in there. I must look back. I must listen back to it. You were probably mentioned there. So <laughs> I, I didn't even think of that. But Peter, I saw Peter is he's, he's father and son champion again. Like he's he's just a born champion. Like for for the for the hundred fiftieth time, yeah. yeah. He's got like three kids that play tennis that are way better than everyone else, and Peter's way better than everyone else, and they just destroy everyone. It seems like uh, every time they go play, it's like uh walk in the park, but um, yeah, they're, they're really good. Peter still plays unbelievably plays all the time. He's the head uh, director now at the club that I grew up at and the club that my mom and her brothers and sisters grew up at the Jack Kramer club in LA. So I see Peter all the time, like every day I saw him a few days ago. Um, nice. So yeah. And from your team, 
back at uh, a college earning them pros. You mean that were on my team? Yeah. Uh, like bef- right before me was Yannick Hanfman, Emilio Gomez, and and them. And then they gr- they graduated. And then my team, it was uh, Daniel Kukerman was one. He's older than me because he was in the army for Israel, but he um, was younger than me by one grade. So he's still playing professionally uh, from Israel. And he was on, on my team when I was at USC. But there's also Stefan Destanich who was on my team and he's still, he just decided to go back for his fifth year because of the whole COVID thing. So he's going back again. And so other than that, not really. Most of them are, are working in finance or something and grinding away. I'm trying to squeeze a little time to talk to them every once in a while when they're, <laughs> while yeah. they're at work. I can imagine grinding on yeah. the nine to five. Don't, your life is a grind as well. It's different, different grind, but it's it's tough out there. Quick, before we move right. on to your your great uh, your great U.S. Open run, talk about how obviously your mom, inf- influential tennis player, and I think some of your other family members are were great tennis players. How influential was it to have such a a great tennis parent? Yeah, I think it was incredibly influential. I think not only I don't think it had much to do with playing tennis i think she was just a very professional person if that makes sense um just very focused in every sense of the word you know kind of a no no messing around type thing um and so you know whether it was school or any sport that you were playing or never being late all those things kind of were just hugely important i learned a lot from that um i played all the sports growing up so i played well, not every single one, but I played uh, <laughs> no cricket for me. But I played uh, I played basketball, I played soccer, I played baseball, and I eventually um, I quit basketball and soccer first, then baseball and tennis. I was kind of deciding between which one I wanted to play. I was playing catcher, and then I decided tennis was my favorite. So I was kind of a late starter, you could say, in terms of I was an early starter in terms of just hitting the ball, but a late starter in terms of I want to do this okay. for a living and really train hard. You know, I was maybe 12, 13 years old before I started really uh, focusing more on tennis. And then probably not till high school, I started, you know, sophomore year, freshman year of high school, I started really um, hunkering down and, and working really hard. It's probably a good thing where you're not burnt out by the time you're 18. You know, you're quite fresh too. You've done it for like four or five years rather than 10 years. You've been grinding hard. Your parents been with the whip out yeah so but uh, yeah exactly but was your mom was she your coach did she or did you have a separate coach how much of your journey was she there for um i would say she was there for my entire journey but not on the forefront if that if that makes sense because uh, my brothers and i naturally were not, were not good at listening to our to our parents <laughs> especially probably our mom and so but when I was too young and dumb to realize what was happening, she would be at the tennis lesson picking up balls. So she'd be pushing the mower around, but then she'd spend 10 minutes dumping the balls into the basket, just like telling the coach what to tell my coach to tell me. So they were playing a game of telephone and I didn't realize that she was doing that. So I think she was indirectly telling Perfect. my coach what to teach me from a very young age and always on the, and always on the court. Um, so she was very present and she still is very present in uh in my tennis and in all of my brothers and in my life so uh yeah and what's your memory as a young kid being around her was she still playing when you're young kid or she stopped playing no she's she stopped she had a really short career like she was grad or she was retired i think in her early 20s um she was 
hit by a drunk driver when she was driving Hilton Head, South Carolina, actually, like broke her leg. I think she was like 21 years old or something like that. And she had won the one Grand Slams at like 16, 18 years old. So she was basically done after that. And then I don't think she had any of us until she was nearly 30 or okay. in her 30s. And so I don't remember any of that. But I remember going to the US Open, for example, and all the big tournaments because she was doing broadcasting. And she would play in the the Legends uh, tournament, I guess, which is where all the uh, retired players yeah. play against each other. So I remember as a, as a young kid going with my brothers and going to the US Open. But we didn't always love watching tennis. We got tired of watching tennis. So we just talked to people and and go eat smoothies and stuff. <laughs> That's a, you're a bit like, wait, my mom's an actual tennis star. Did you ever think like that? Like, whoa, she's, no, she's just your mom. But then you're like, whoa, she's actually a big deal. Yeah, uh, yes and no. I, not for a long time. Uh, I mean, she was always just mom, if that makes sense. And, yeah. and at home, she is extremely normal and a very normal, uh, normal person in terms of when she talks to other people and hangs out with everyone and, just at, it's only at the tennis tournaments when everyone kind of goes goes crazy, which was weird to me. But it's also you know it's the U.S. Open. There's a million people everywhere, and I probably didn't understand why we needed like sometimes security guards to just walk across the thing and everyone's screaming. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? You know what I mean? But um, yeah. I also didn't think, oh, maybe that happens to everyone or something. So I didn't think about that when I was young. But then as I got older, I realized you know how how good she was and stuff like that. And and more so how young she was super young when she was really good. So that was kind of a um, intricate, interesting part of her that, career. That's crazy. And if, if you learned, what's the one biggest piece of advice you've learned from her? Um, I would say I learned by example from her mostly. Uh, I don't know if it's one specific quote or anything that she said, but I think that she's um, anyone that knows her knows that she's incredibly competitive in anything. Um, she's incredibly professional. She doesn't take anything off. So whether she's, you know, grocery shopping or anything, she's on a mission and she's going for it. And I think that that's been hugely important, uh, for her in her life and also to teach us the discipline that my brothers and I have to be able to succeed in tennis or in, in business as my brothers are doing. Um, I think leading by example, she does that well and, and you can really pick up on the reason that she was set apart from other people because she just is, um, so focused and so driven. Well, such an insp- such an inspiration, Brandon. Let's get to your U.S. Open run, where you had an unbelievable run. Uh, I'd heard at the time that you'd you'd shut you'd shut the world off to social media. You just zoned out completely. Was that true, or am I making that up? Not to not to social media. It was more to text messages. Like I got so many text messages. Kind of just to my phone. I didn't shut off completely. It was more, I would look at it and be like, holy smokes, like what is going on here? You know what I mean? So, because I was ranked 303, I, I had hand surgery. So I was, you know, I didn't know really a few months prior uh, if I would ever be able to play tennis again because I had to get a part of my bone cut out in my hand where I was going doctor to doctor, you know, seven, eight months of trying to figure out what was going on. And I, um, Finally ended up getting a surgery where they basically cut into the back of my hand. Okay. Scars healed well. Um, but but the, uh, they cut my hand open and, uh, and then I was able to eventually play, but I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't pick anything up. I couldn't pick up a pencil. My hand didn't work at all. And I, and I started out the year in Cancun in those features down there. And I won three in a row, which was just crazy because I hadn't played in so long. And I 
definitely wasn't supposed to play that 15 matches yeah. in a row. You know, towards the end of the third one, I was so tired and I was like, and I, my mom and I were talking, and if I lost a set, I would pull out because there's no way that I could play a three set match because I was just, it's just not what I was expecting. So I just had a great run at the beginning of that year, started playing well. And then I got a wild card um, after winning a handful of futures and stuff and doing decent, some challengers, got a wild card into qualifying of the US Open where um i was down a set and a break and the first first round came back and won that one um and then i ended up qualifying in a crazy match where there's three three different rain delays i had a rain delay um in the third set in the beginning and again and then a rain delay at five three serving for the match 40 30 like the rain delay at match point for two and a half hours or something and so they, to qualify for, for my first Grand Slam. Well, what are you saying to yourself? Are you going to hit a first serve when you come back out? No, I'm just going to kick it in. What, what What's actually going through <laughs> your head there? I wasn't thinking, let's just kick it in. I, I was going to go for it. But um, I definitely was. I mean, I went into the recovery room that they have there at the US Open. It's kind of like these lounge chairs. They got the Norma Tech recovery boots. And um, on one of the rain delays, I actually like, fell asleep, nodded off for a little bit. because It was pouring rain. Um, I'm not one that gets normally super, super nervous, but in that situation, it was a little bit more tense, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's literally match point. So you're thinking, all right, do I serve T? Do I serve wide? I've aced him T this many times. He probably thinks that I'm going to go T, <laughs> so let's go wide. But he, he thinks that I think that. And so he's going to, you know, and so it was just this, this mental thing. And I actually missed my first serve um, and then had a grind of a point, lost the point, deuce. Then I think another match point, then deuce again. So it was a back and forth thing. And I finally ended up, ended up um ended up sealing sealing the match um and it was just awesome it was amazing it was a whole day event of just waiting for the rain and playing waiting for the rain and playing one of the times we went back on it started drizzling in the warm-up and then we sat there and then we ended up playing like a game or two so it was just crazy um and so yeah and then i qualified and uh, to get back to your question about you know the the messages and stuff my phone was blowing up like crazy with all of all of my friends all of my family everyone that um you know i had grown up with that's followed my career and things like that and of course they're all you know amazing people that i want to get back to yeah. you know it's not like oh why are, you, why are you texting me it's like oh thanks i'm so happy that you guys are texting me and i'd love to catch up but i have 500 and i have a match tomorrow and i gotta recover and stuff so um in that sense i had to kind of put it aside and wait till the end to, to get back to people. Um, because then it compounded again because I qualified and ended up winning my first round against Taylor Fritz, which is like the biggest Fritz was the first round, was it? Yeah, that was the first round. So then I got even more, um, my phone started going off again and then I ended up losing in, in five sets in the seven, six and the fifth and the second set. So that was a tough loss, but, um, you know, all things considered, it was a great tournament for for my first Grand Slam. Like to beat Fritz, he may be in US number one at the time. I'm not sure, but that must have been unbelievable. Yeah. Like, yeah, <clears throat> he was number one uh, US player. That's probably added pressure for him. And then he also just won Indian Wells. He beat Rafa in the final. Uh, so he was definitely playing great. And um, I played a really complete match. I played very well. I had I had set point in the first set, and then lost the first set or one, one or the other where one of us should have won the first set and one of us should have won the second set and it flipped. So it was kind of a, it was a weird match. Um, but I ended up winning it in a, in, in a close four set match and it, and it was awesome. It was really cool. My, my family was all out there and a lot of my friends and stuff came and it's New York. So you always know 
couple thousand people of the billion people in New York. <laughs> so they came out. <laughs> Tell me, going into that match with him, did you believe you could beat him? Yeah, I did. I, I, I did believe that I could beat him. Um, I I practice with him all the time. I mean, Taylor's an unbelievable player. His serve is, is insanely good, um, and but he's also a nice guy. And he, he was joking because when the draw came out, I saw him in the locker room or something before, and he's like, I knew that was going to happen. He said it, he was either <laughs> going to play me or Chris Eubanks, I think it was the other qualifier, and he thought for sure he's going to play one of us. So um, I did I did think that I could win. Uh, I knew that I had to play, play a good match because, I mean, he serves really big, and he's also very good from the baseline. So he's extremely dangerous from the baseline. And so it's not like one of those things where, you know, if he doesn't serve well, then you can't beat him because he still, you know, has a rock yeah. solid backhand and, and rips the forehand. So, um, yeah, I, I think I just returned really well. And I was, you know, every point I played, um, you know, kind of not grinding, but I just didn't give him much. And so I think I tried to make him feel like he had to, had to really play every single point instead of letting him kind of just like serve, serve me off the court. So I ended up playing a great match and, and got through it. it. It must help though. You, you've practiced with him, it said plenty of times. So you know what ball to expect. You felt it before you've seen the serve before that definitely gives you a bit of comfort. I think it does. Yeah, it does. And it also gives you uncomfort because you know, or discomfort because you know that he serves at like 150 miles an hour. So <laughs> yeah, 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 but yeah, for sure. I kind of knew a little bit what to expect his tendencies and things like that. And tell me, after U.S. Open, did anything change media-wise? Were you getting requests all the time? Like, did, did that ease down as well? Or how's it been since? I know it's, it was a year and a half. Two years ago now? Are we t- uh, yeah, the, the U.S. Open before the last one. Um, yeah, I mean, things changed. It probably made me more well-known. A lot of people watched that match um, and kind of remember. And they come up to me and say, oh, I watched whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so that that changed in that sense, but not in a not in a huge way to where I feel like I don't know it got to my head at all. You know, I still go out and lose first round of a challenger every once in a while, so <laughs> can't get can't let it yeah. get to my head that much. Um, so yeah, I think I still feel like you know nothing's changed too much. I'm still in this process of of improving and and think that I can get back to that level of playing um, consistent grand slams. I've been uh, I've been injured a few times, so. Uh, I was injured again this year. I lost some points. I, I won't get into Australia this year into quality. So I'm like ranked 260 or something. So I'm going to go to Thailand at the beginning. Um, so yeah, hopefully I can just be be healthy because I have been uh, injured probably more than I've been healthy almost at this point in terms of after I was done with college. I have been on a lot of injuries. So if I can stay healthy, I think that my level is definitely high enough to be able to play consistently at the Grand Slams and do well. That was my next question to you. You did a great run in Australia last year, uh, getting through qualies, and you played Batista good. Was a tight match with him. Yeah, I, I was two sets to love up. I was I was playing great. I, I was ripping the ball, and then he kind of picked it up and started hitting the ball pretty deep. And um, I mean, he's relentless. We had a great match. I lost in five sets to Batista good. So I've lost, I've lost two five setters. I won one five setter the first round in Australia. So I've got three five setters under my belt. Um, two of my lost in the second round of a grand slam. So I, it, on one hand, you could be like, oh, that's a huge bummer. Um, you know, you're right there to get to the third round of a grand slam twice. But on the other hand, you know, at least I know that I can do it and I'm right there. So a few points here and there, you know, as you know, tennis is, is about tiny margins. So, you know, a few points here and there, and I could be, um, into the, into the next round of a slam. And I think that if I keep giving myself those opportunities, then, um, 
those moments will come. Yeah, I, I think I think you're doing the you're doing the right things. You're getting yourself in contention, and then next time it's a couple of points the other way, and the W comes. But what, what sort of so this year, 2024? What sort of team are you traveling with? Yeah, that's something that I'm trying to I'm trying to put together. In the end of this last year, I had uh, Rylan Rizza, who was a coach that I grew up with, and then this year. I think I'm going to try and start traveling because I was in and out of bringing a coach and I think I'm different than a lot of players because I'm kind of a, I don't like on court coaching where someone's talking to me the whole time. I kind of like being in my own head. I don't know if you've watched me play very much, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty quiet, level headed. I don't have, you know, big ups and down swings. I kind of treat a tennis match a little bit like a chess match where I'm just um, kind of in my own head and, and doing that thing. And I, and another thing I think players, sometimes the coach, it seems like is there to, you know, drop the rackets off, get stringing or, you know, kind of almost babysitting. And I don't think I need that at all. So they're super helpful in terms of, you know, being able to get the extra reps in and stuff like that. So I'm definitely going to bring a coach with me. I'm in the process of looking for which one, or if it's going to be a few different people that come with me at different times. But, um, Christian grow. I hit with all the time. I don't know if you, if you remember him, he, I know Chris, Chris sends us, Chris sends us loads of videos and he's always share some good content with him. So I know Chris well, and he's actually sent me some content last week, which we haven't posted yet. So he's a great guy. Oh, cool. It's a good thing. He has a single hand, backhand, doesn't he? It's a good. Yeah. He, he rips it. We <laughs> He's so funny because his backhand is so insanely good. So if you're doing practice, you know how, Everyone goes, all right, let's do cross courts. And everyone starts with a forehand cross yeah. court. But he, he doesn't say anything. And he starts yeah. with a backhand cross court and just starts punishing you, just hitting Love the ball it. 300 miles an hour at your backhand. It's so funny. He's so good. I swear he's way better than me. At Love tennis. it. <laughs> uh, well, he, he loved hearing that. But I've seen him and him and Tommy go backhand to backhand. And oh, oh, always a good video. But yeah, so tell me, uh, Brandon, I'm going to end this with maybe you can give our listeners which are like junior players and parents some good advice like what advice can you offer them that could help them in their career that's a really good question i would say if you're a young junior i think that you have to surround yourself with people that are passionate about the sport but also are looking out for your well-being in terms of your your overall um, who you are as a person because i think you know tennis is is not life. You know, for some people it is, um, but the tennis is just a part of life. So you can't put all of your, all of your emotions and all of your thoughts and every, um, you know, your self-worth into whether you win or lose a tennis match, especially when you're a young kid. And it, and it pains me to see, you know, a lot of parents, if a kid loses a match, you know, it's like their day is over, their week is over and the parents so mad, like their kid just, you know, <laughs> their life is over. And I think that it's such a long process and in all honesty, you know, 99.9% of the percent of you are going to have tennis eventually become just a hobby and something very fun and a, and a passion that you have, but it won't be something that you make money or that is your full-time job. So, you know, I've got a lot of friends that I grew up with playing tennis and they all still play tennis for fun. And, um, and that, that atmosphere that I was surrounded with when I was growing up, which was, more of a relaxed atmosphere of let's go out, have fun, enjoy the sport, and then make this, make the desire come from within. You know, you can't have, you can't have your parent want you to want more badly for you to win than you yourself. And I think that's something that I see a lot. I think that 
that desire needs to be within your own belly because there's no way that someone else's drive is going to push you to become, you know, amazing at anything. And, um, I think that starts with having fun. So at the Kramer club growing up, you know, we played doubles drills, we played butts up, we were hitting the ball at each other. You know, we were, we were just, you know, playing dodgeball. It was whatever you could possibly do at the tennis club to on the side also play tennis. You know, when I was young, you know, I'd walk from the bus stop from school and we'd play butts up, you know, which is where you just, we'd play from the service line to, to the net. Like you hit from the net to the service line. We hit each other so oh, hard right. playing butts up. It was insane. And then at the end, all right, let's play a little bit of tennis. Yeah, I hope there's no long-term damage there. You're going to be in trouble. You pay for that. But actually, I thought of something else. So a few weeks ago, we had uh, Kenneth Carlson, Pablo Andlehar on the podcast. And they talked a bit what you said. Look, as a 12-year-old, 10, 12-year-old, the most important thing is you're having fun. You got to enjoy it. But it gets to a stage when you're 15, 16, 17. Things get serious. You decide, I want to go pro. Let's say you're not going the college route. I want to go pro and you got to say, and they talked about, you got to commit to tennis. You're going to lose out on things. You know, you're going to give up, you know, you might families at Christmas, girlfriends, you know, you're going to have issues with all those sort of things. Do you, where you've got to your career today, do you feel you've had to give up anything or what have you given up? Well, I feel like I've had to give up things, but I don't feel like I've had to give up things, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't feel like I've given up anything that's not worth giving up. So I think there, uh, there's of course things that, you know, in high school you want to go to a party or in college you want to go to a party or you want to stay up all night long and do this and you want to do that. But I think there's an overarching theme. One of the hardest things for me is that there's an overarching theme of tennis that always looms over your head, you know. And for me, that was a lot of times injury. I grew up riding motorcycles. I grew up going snowmobiling. I grew up skiing and I grew up doing everything that basically at any day I could have a career ending injury. And so to have to cut that out of my life, I cannot wait for the day that I retire. I'm probably going to break every bone in my body. Oh, I'm going to go motorcycle riding. I'm going to go snowmobiling. I'm going to do it all. Um, but that's something that is a huge, you have to give that up. You know, you have to, a lot of times, whether it's, you know, I'm going to go, you know, anything you have to think I can't get injured for tennis. And I also have to get sleep. I have to eat well, you know, you can't eat really bad. So there's a lot of those things that you give up. And there's also a lot of a lot of things you give up, like he was saying, in terms of, um, you know, you know, fun, like the extracurricular activities that you would do uh, going out with your friends and things like that. But like I was saying, those are things that I have found become so worth it so quick. You know, one of the matches I won in, in college, which was I played in the finals of the Pac-12s in Ojai, which is a big Pac-12 championships tournament. And it was a packed crowd. I was a freshman playing against a senior, Gage Brimer. And the whole third set came down to us. So the whole Pac-12 championship, USC versus UCLA, it was, uh, you know, everyone's screaming. They're tell- calling you all the bad names or calling them all the bad names. You know, it was just a, a war. And I ended up winning in three sets from the very be- from the beginning of the third. The whole third was everyone was watching my court. And at that moment, I felt like every single thing that I'd given up was, you know, completely worth it. Like for that moment, you know, winning for my team, I would have traded all the things that I had to give up. And then it compounded, you know, the, you know, winning a match in a grand slam or winning a tournament, like all those things become, you know, that sense of sense of heightened sense of living is just amazing. You know, um, playing tennis because it's, uh, there's a lot of delayed gratification in this sport where, you know, you're putting in work years and years ago, that's not coming to fruition until, um, you know, 10 years later. And, um, and so, yeah, that's something that, that, that's a great question. And that's something that you do have to 
have to do eventually, like you were saying at 14, 15, as you have to be very serious at something that's important. Yeah, they, they did say that at the end. You know, during, it is really worth it. You just have to wait, put in the work, and eventually you hope it will all be worth it. But uh, Brandon, thank you very much. Um, uh, sorry, before I say thanks, I did see the video of you with your family with the, is it the ski mobile? Uh, was it the <laughs> ski too? I was like, yeah, what everything. are they doing? It's, where did that my even come from? My dad's a total mo- motorhead. Yeah, my dad is a total motorhead. So growing up, we do motorcycle riding and snowmobiling is like the one where there's a really long track on the back and it's in the snow and those things go so fast. There's- it's crazy, but it's so much fun. So you're in the powder. So we go up and, and do that in the snow. And then growing up, we did motorcycle riding as well and all kinds of off-roading stuff. That's our our favorite things to do, my brothers and my dad. So, so. dangerous, so um, dangerous. So uh, <laughs> Brandon, thank you very much. Uh, I wish, hoping you have a great 2024. 20, I'll be keeping my eye on you. And uh, yeah, thanks and go kick some ass and keep using that saber. Yeah, thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you soon. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Brandon. I'll be back next week with more and hope you're enjoying the Aussie Open also. Goodbye. <laughs>